But God is too of a personal God to have just a general will for everybody, is he not? Now, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the will of God is that all would be saved. And he has provided that way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you have not received Christ, I can tell you with 100% assurance, God's will for you is for you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I can say that with a complete confidence. God also has a will for every Christian to be conformed to the image of Christ. We've seen that as well, right? But God has a specific will for each individual life. We're not all robots. We're not all cookie cutters. You know, we, God has something different for every one of us to do. Aren't you glad of that? I look at some jobs and I'd be like, I would never want to do that. So then we discussed, then how do we know the specific will of God? Now, to see the fact that God does have a specific will, we looked at the example of Abraham's servant going and finding Isaac, right? And how he was led of God through the whole experience and and everything. And then he even uses a statement, I being in the way the Lord led me. But then we looked at seven pointers to the will of God. So how can I be assured then that what I am doing is according to God's will? Number one was what? What's the number one pointer to the will of God? God's word. God's word. God's will will never contradict God's word, period. So when somebody tells me, well, I believe this is the will of God for me. And what they're claiming they are going to do is against the word of God. I can tell them with confidence, no, it is not, because God's will will never contradict God's word. All right, what's number two? I'll give you a hint. We just did it. Prayer, very good. We should be praying and asking God's will, should we not? And again... If we're praying and asking God's will and God's direction, is he not going to give it to us? We looked at Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. All right, number three was what? A multitude of counselors. If I want to know the will of God, I need to go to a multitude of counselors. Now, We put some qualifications on these counselors, didn't we? Typically older, definitely godly, right? We don't want to be the Rehoboam who went to the older people and they all said, hey, take it easy on the folks and they will be serve you, they'll follow you. Well, he didn't like that. He went to his peers and they said, tell them you think my dad Solomon was tough. Wait till you see what I can do. And the kingdom was rent out from right from under him and split because he followed poor advice. So you got to be careful who your counselors are. But I also mentioned that you don't always want to go to people who are yes men. You want a counselor who you think is going to disagree with you and let them give their reasoning if they do disagree with you, why they disagree with you. Because if you just circle yourself with yes men, it's not true counsel. Now, you know what I find surprising? is when I go to certain counselors thinking that they're going to say, no, I think that's a bad idea. 
but I still want to get their input of why it's a bad idea when they say, I think that's actually a very good idea. I'm like, whoa, stop, what? <laughs> you know? Now that's a pretty good indicator that I'm probably on the right track here. Is it not? All right, what's number four? Circumstances. So are there not circumstances in life that God places and arranges? Well, we talked about Paul. How did he get to Melita? He was shipwrecked. Paul the, it was, says he was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go to Asia. But we need to allow God to control the circumstances. Don't try to manufacture the circumstances. Allow God to control the circumstances in your life. And he can use circumstances as a pointer. Now, it's not the only one. Because some people, well, the circumstances just seem to all line up. Okay, let's go back to number one. Does it line up with the Word of God? Let's go to number two. Did you pray about it? Number three, did you talk to your counselors about it? Because, you, you know, you can't just pull one of these apart and say, this is how I'm going to know the will of God for my life. They all should be pointing in the right direction. Because, again, God is not trying to hide his will from you. He wants you to know his perfect will for you. Okay, number five, godly reasoning. Holy Spirit enlightened reasoning. Not worldly reasoning, not some guy who wrote a book on how to rear children who never had children himself reasoning. You know what the problem is? In schools today, they're not teaching children how to think. They're teaching them what to think. And critical thinking has really been erased from our society. I am amazed how many adults I come across who really don't know how to reason through something. Simple if-then statements. You even give them the if. So if we do that, what's going to be the result? I don't know. I just feel good about it. But what's going to be the result? Well, I don't care. Well, there's your problem. And by the way, many of these answers come from people who are making decisions for you on a daily basis. We call them politicians. Godly reasoning. How do we get godly reasoning? Well, we need to be in the Word. We need to be praying. We need to be submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. All right, now here come the last two. Peace, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Well, pastor, I have peace about it. Well, I don't know how you can have peace about it when it contradicts the Word of God. I'll tell you right now, that's not a godly peace. But I will say something. There is a godly peace that I cannot explain to you, but once you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The circumstances may not make sense, but they're lined up in a certain way that you believe God is leading. God's word is not contradicting. You've prayed about it. Your counselors feel this is right. You've talked, you looked at the circumstances and you have a peace in your heart and others may be thinking, wow, this is crazy, but you can, you can rest assured I'm in the will of God. And the last one, then is desires. Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, not everything that my flesh craves means that that's the will of God for me, right? Do you see a big sailboat in my backyard? No. Do I desire one? Yes. Does that mean it's the will of God for me to have it? No. There's a new sailboat place that opened up going into Moorhead City. Every time I pass it and they got those beautiful little boats sitting there with the sails up, I'm like, oh, 
I'd like to have one. I haven't even stopped in yet. You know why? Because I don't want to be tempted. I know some guy's going to be like, look, I could get you in this boat for... Yeah, I had a boat before. You know what they are? Exactly. The two greatest days of my life were the day I bought the boat and the day I sold the boat. <laughs> okay. So just because it's something I desire in the flesh doesn't mean it's the will of God. Okay, but God will put godly desires in your heart and then he will bring them to fruition. Now, then we started going through some practical applications. We looked at, as an example from scripture, I took the topic of relocating or moving and we looked at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and all this is review, okay? Genesis chapter 12, we see... Abraham moving down to Egypt, no prayer, no command of God. God had actually told him just a few verses earlier to stay in Canaan, but there was a famine. So for convenience, he's going down to Egypt. And on the way, he tells his wife, by the way, don't tell him you're my wife. Tell him you're my sister, which was half true because she was a half sister. But it's still a lie because she was his wife. And we see that he almost lost his wife during that situation. But when he comes back, he has somebody else who's going to cause trouble in the family later. And her name is Hagar. Then we went to Genesis 13 and we see when Abram, Abram and, and Lot's herdsmen are conflicting with one another, that Abram turns to Lot and says, you choose which way you want to go. And again, we see a man who does not look for godly counsel. We see a man who does not have the word of God, who doesn't pray about it. But what does he do? He looks down in the valley and he says, that looks like a great place to have my herds. Not considering that uh, that is where the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were. And he moves his family down there and he ended up losing his entire family because of a decision he made to relocate. Then we looked at the example of Joseph. Now, Joseph didn't choose to move. His brother sold him into slavery. It was not Joseph's choice to move to Egypt. However, even though the circumstances around Joseph moving to Egypt were terrible, we see God still using it. And we see a young man who, I, every time I study Joseph, I'm always amazed because he still followed God despite all that happened to him, being sold into slavery, being lied about, being thrown into prison, being forgotten in prison. But God used it all to prepare Joseph to become second only to Pharaoh, to prepare for a great famine that was coming. So again, sometimes we don't have control of the circumstances, but we do have this assurance. God is still in control, right? All right, then we talked a little bit about Moses, again, who made a rash decision to kill the Egyptian, fled in fear. And we talked about we can't run from trouble. So let's look at a few more in the brief time that we have. Let's go to Ruth chapter 1. And again, I apologize. New Bible. It's familiar territory, but un unfamiliar pages. How's that? Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of the two sons, 
Malon and Chilion, Euphrates of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came to the country of Moab and continued there. And Limelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of uh, the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years, and Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So, Elimelech. What does the name Elimelech mean? Anybody remember? God is king. God is king. And he left Bethlehem, the house of bread, because of a famine, and decided to move to Moab. Do we see anywhere that God came to Elimelech and said, there's going to be a famine, you need to move to Moab? No. Do we find anywhere Elimelech prayed and asked God for guidance in how to provide for his family during this famine? Do we find Elimelech talking to the other elders of the city and saying, hey, what is the plan to deal with the famine here in the land? Do we find circumstances that would make Elimelech think I should move to Moab? You could maybe say yes, but here's the thing. The other pointers to the will of God were not there. And he suffered great consequence, did he not? He gets to Moab, he dies. His two sons die. Now, his wife then moves back to Bethlehem. Who greets her when she gets back? Her friends, the family that was left behind. What's that tell you? He never actually needed to move in the first place. God provided for them in Bethlehem, Judah. Now, what if he died anyhow? I don't know. God doesn't say. I believe part of it is the fact of judgment for what he chose to do, but I can't say because God's silent on it, okay? But I do know this. He did not need to move. God didn't tell him to move, and God provided for him in Bethlehem, and I know that for a fact because when Naomi gets back, they all greet her by name, which means they already knew who she was. My point being this, folks. Again, be careful. Circumstances may look bad, but if it's not the will of God to move in this case, or whatever it might be, just because one pointer to the will of God is looking like this is the right thing to do doesn't mean jump aboard and get, on, get, get going with it because the rest of them were not pointing in that direction. That makes sense? All right, let's move on. We're going to look at a different example. And this one stayed behind when he should have been up doing something. And we're going to look at this one and we'll probably be done. Okay? So... This is in 2 Samuel chapter 1, or chapter 11, rather. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rahab, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. I want you to see again, when kings go forth to battle, the time when kings go forth to battle. But David says, Joab, you take the army and go. I'm sitting this one out. And it came to pass in the evening tide, David arose from off his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman's very beautiful to look upon. And David 
sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of a lion, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And we all know the rest of the account, don't we? He calls for her. He commits adultery with her. He has her husband killed when she finds out she's pregnant. David ended up on this path of sin and wickedness. Why? Because the verse 1 tells us it was the time when kings go to battle. It was time for David to get up and do something. But David chose to tarry still in Jerusalem. Here's the point. When God shows us it's time to do something, and he says, now's the time, don't delay. If we still want to be in the will of God, yes, we can't um, run ahead of God, but nor can we linger behind when it's time to move, right? Do we see David again seeking counsel, praying the word of God? Any, any reason why he should have stayed? You know why he stayed? Eh, I'm getting older. I got Joab to take care of. He's the captain of the army. He can take care of the boys. They'll be fine. It, you know what? I can sit this one out. Sometimes in our Christian life, we get comfortable, complacent, and apathetic. That's where David found himself. And when we do, be careful because you're already out of the will of God, right? If you're becoming careless in your Christian walk, you're already out of the will of God. And so don't expect to be walking in the will of God when you're being careless with your walk with God. You follow what I'm saying? David got careless. Look where he ended up. Christian, it's important that every day we're drawing near to him. Every day we're in the word. Every day we're praying and we keep a short account of sin before him. It's important that we are walking with God humbly every day. All right, I know we didn't get very far tonight, but that's okay. We, Lord willing, will have next week. And if the Lord should come before then, well, then we won't need this. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer.